Ende. Das Spiel für viele. Das Spiel ohne Ende. Das Spiel ohne Ende. Die Wünsche meiner Hände lassen mich dann nicht mehr schlafen. Hey, this is Stavros, and you're listening to Too Cold to Cry on BFF.fm. I'm joined here in the studio by a friend of mine. George Eliot. George Eliot, the famous uh, 19th century author. Um, are, you, have you, are you working on anything new? Lots of stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they're sort of um, pastoral romances. Oh, that's, that's my favorite kind of romance. I'm British, by the way. Yes. So I had some yeah. questions for you, Savos. Uh huh. Please fire away. Um, f- 
for those of you listening, uh, just a little bit of context. Savros <laughs> and I just saw in concert mm. um, Terry Riley mm-hmm. and John Zorn mm-hmm. and Laurie Anderson perform mm-hmm. at the chapel in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know that John Zorn and Laurie Anderson live in New York, but where does Imagine. Terry Riley live? I feel like he's kind of a West Coast guy. Yeah, though. I think so. I actually kind of, for some reason, thought that he lives in the Bay Area, but yeah. maybe I'm wrong about that. Oh, uh, man. Or like he lives like underneath Hearst Castle in like a secret bunker <laughs> or something. That's definitely know? not right. He <laughs> lives like, he lives like, but the close. It's not, <laughs> Hearst Castle I think would be offensive to his aesthetic. Well, it has to be it like a, a bunker. Space. It has to be more. Right, right. A is bunker, Hearst I mean, he's planning to blow it up. a beautiful space? Well, parts of it, I think. I mean, there's certainly it celebrates decadence, but um, it does celebrate decadence. But yeah, well I think I, I, you know, I went to visit it as a child, and I was struck by its beauty. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I was struck by its weirdness. It is weird. But it is beautiful. That's part I of mean, its beauty. I mean, the area is beautiful. It is San Simeon. Can't get of, enough. It's a lot. Of, it's a lot of concrete uh, performing as stone. Oh, That's I see. That's my experience of Hearst Castle. So do you think it's it's kind of an imposter in some sense? Some fundamental 100%. Sense? Yeah, yeah. But you only saw it as a child. I think you need to... Yeah. No, I do. I mean, a lot it's of it Hollywood. Is, is like, yeah, like simulacra, right? It's like, it is like a movie set in a lot of respects. Maybe that's what attracted me to it. Because it's also very eclectic, right? In terms of its architecture and also its interior design. Yeah. And I like that. It's kind of like a fun house. It's totally way. like yeah. a fun house. Yeah. It's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. So my question was to mm-hmm. you about just the experience of seeing these um, incredible musicians, but like, although they were participating in the same cultural movement, like very discreet. Yeah. Uh, artists, yeah. you know, you don't think of Terry right. Riley, John Zorn, and Laurie Anderson as being like, sort of like part of the same aesthetic project. Right. Although they were certainly like friends in your, right. you know, comrades in arms. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It was the, it was the Cultural same. Cultural warriors. It was, it was the same movement, but they're yeah. They're they're all very independent thinkers also i mean john zorn's always collaborating because he's a jazz musician but like what did you think about hearing them play together and what were your thoughts with these kind of like towering figures mm-hmm. coming together as a superstar yeah, like, trio you, you're a musician i'm not yeah. i'm kind of a, you know like, my perspective is different like, yeah what was your well it's interesting to think about a kind of like 70s art um, you know, like superstar bands, kind of like a Led Zeppelin of 70s art rock or something. Yeah. Um, and it's so true. Yeah, right. Wait, but is yeah. Led Zeppelin like. I know nothing about Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Led Zeppelin wasn't like taking these like independent stars and putting them together post. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, because Jimmy Page played with the Yardbirds, and Robert Plant had done a lot of amazing stuff, and I I don't know who John Bonham played with before, but yeah, I mean, the idea was to create a sort of super group, right? Yeah, it's like the all-star in NBA, it's like the all-star group, okay, cool. And I think as as an all-star group, I think it was really interesting, Um, we were talking about how, you know, I think neither of us was really familiar with Laurie Anderson in her capacity strictly as a musician. And I thought that right. 
she was really the most interesting part of the she show. She really aspects. was. Yeah. She but, was the glue yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, and I think that she just kind of kept things compelling in a way. I think that Zorn and Riley really repeated themselves. They a just lot. did them, right? And and it was great, but um, but she even though she had a certain set of kind of tropes that she would come back to, I felt that her musical contributions were more dynamic and interesting overall. She was incidentally for the listening audience playing an electric violin, which she was processing with a number of different effects, um, but one of which allowed her to play sort of full chords so that she could mimic the sound of basically a string quartet, right? And she created these really interesting kind of um, atonal, almost sort of Schoenbergian, you know, but like from the early Schoenberg, like when it was still somewhat harmonic, right? Um, Exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, I I (laughs) could see that you say that. Sorry for jumping on that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and I think that's John Zorn and Terry Riley, well, certainly John Zorn was, was feeding off of what Laurie Anderson was doing. I think, I think Terry Riley was kind of trying to direct things and he did a good I job felt that of way. that. I thought it was but, great. Uh, he was yeah. anchoring it. I yeah. think, sh- I think, first of all, dear audience, <laughs> Laurie Anderson was like, I, she was like, aggressive like there were moments where she was playing this instrument like like an electric guitar like it was like yeah it was passionate it was like it was like metal music like there were there were these like really incredible moments and like it was virtuosic and i i i think just like understanding the versatility of her as an artist is pretty incredible and surprising i agree but there were the other thing about laurie that was cool is like she was very willing to kind of make the piece hang together Mm -hmm. when she wasn't like the dominant instrument in the in the room yeah i love terry riley's repetitions like Mm -hmm. i I think that his his piano work is about sequence mm-hmm. sure, and yeah. series in mm-hmm. that kind mm-hmm. of like mm-hmm. mathematical way and, and it and it's um, in that way it doesn't matter how many times it's repeated because it's about repetition definitely yeah um, but it was diff- more difficult I think that was maybe the the foil that was not like quite working was that John Zorn who's kind of like this obstreperous jazz musician who's breaking all the rules. And there's Terry Riley, who's like the minimalist, who's kind of like building on sequences. Like they were kind of at odds, which was an interesting, I think that was like an interesting tension. It didn't always work. Uh, Yeah, I mean. The way that they resolved it, sorry to just like jump in, but the way that they resolved it was with a very contemporary sound Mm -hmm. which is just like using a synthesizer to build crescendo and like create reverberation in the space yeah yeah, and like build build up the layers and like that i I felt like that was like their constant like resolution to this what is actually like kind of a philosophical division between those two artists Mm Which has a legacy to it because they're both like super famous and like important. So anyway, yeah, I I agree. I mean, it, it was interesting to hear Terry Riley as basically just like a jazz pianist, which is essentially how he came out of the gate, right? Playing these kind of 
um, these runs, which would just sort of end somewhat abruptly and and then kind of explode into space with a new series. Yeah. But it was very, yeah, I mean, it was counter to what we think of as his, like, signature style. But then, I think you're absolutely right, he would, when the piece called for it, or when they wanted to bring it to a head, um, then he would start to add these layers of repeating sounds through tape loops and stuff like that. And then Zorn would be like, oh, okay, right. Yeah, now we're going yeah, into this repetitive yeah. minimalist thing. And, and... And Anderson would create this really interesting texture over it with the strings, right? To kind of like um, create like a skin almost, right? To the sort of body of, of repeating That's a wonderful sounds. Way of putting it. Uh, you know, what she did was so beautiful. But, um, but yeah, so it was, it was interesting. I mean, I think that's because they're, when you, whenever you have a bunch of sort of superstars like that, they're coming to the stage with, um, I, I, I don't it's like I can't find the right word but almost with a lot of sort of baggage like at least there are expectations as far as the audience is concerned about what it, what is the kind of sound that these people create and these are also the things that they've mastered um, but since they're but all had the least amount of baggage it seems she was like, the most right? versatile absolutely. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she seemed the most freed from it at least yeah yeah it does it does make me think like what is the baggage that we bring as sure especially as these like figures that have like gone so far down the path of inventing their own voice as artists um i just wanted to say a few things about like the way that it presented as a performance because mm-hmm. i think that that's interesting like to have the horn in the center because the horn is always like i feel like the most physical mm-hmm. um well, I mean, that's hard. All instruments are physical. And the, and the piano, I think of as a sculpture, mm-hmm. is big. But you're stagnant. You're there, just like playing it, you know? And then there's like, um, Terry Riley had like the synthesizer. He had a lot of other gear. Mm-hmm. And so did Lori. And Lori is a performance artist. So she's like sure. very much like aware of her body. But Absolutely. she was kind of playing this accommodating role in some yeah. ways. And she was to the. Um, stage right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so John Zorn was like smack dad in the center and he as Nathan pointed out to me when we were listening together or sorry Sabros <laughs> shit <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> he was um, the only member of the uh, he, he was the only person on the stage who didn't have he wasn't was he amplified? He was the only person not modulating his sound. But yeah, he had no like effects that he was using on his yeah. instruments. Yeah. Uh, Lori Anderson and Terry Riley were um, controlling their sound, and and I think that Terry Riley was like really in control of like adding lots of other layers and kind of yeah. composing. So anyway, yeah. you had John in the center. And he's got he's on the horn and he's kind of looking dead at you and he's wearing these like cargo pants mm-hmm. that were camo. I don't know if you noticed that. Sabros. Kind of like a zebra camo. They were, they were like a yeah. zebra camo and then he had this like shirt that had like stars on it but it was like button up. It reminded me of something that like I don't know, people in like New Jersey wear <laughs> not 
ironic. It was definitely sort of like <laughs> cool, not cool. You know? It was, yeah, it was aggressively sure. cool, not cool. And and he was like he was the only embodied performer. Yeah. Well, especially the way that he plays the saxophone. It's incredibly physical and performative. It's like his guts. Absolutely. Very much so. It's like it's like the intestines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was mostly using the instrument, not exclusively, but in many instances, just for its sort of clicks and clacks and the way that it would sort of expel um, air, right? Those are the things that he was really interested in. Instead of playing um, melodies or melodic runs, although he started out doing that, he reverted pretty quickly to sort of screeches and clicks and clacks. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there was that, but it was also very some very beautiful jazz. Yeah, he, he he did have some really beautiful moments, but you could tell that he was pretty bored by that. Do you think he, so? I could. Not I think tell. so. I think you so. You could tell. Well, because he was just like he just wanted to play, you know. And we were talking about this before, but. I think what's so enjoyable about seeing a show like that is is seeing a number of really accomplished artists and musicians um, being freed from any kind of bounds, except for the moment that they're creating spontaneously among themselves. And, and to see them sort of play with each other in that way, I just found really delightful and sort of vicariously I, I felt a deep sense of enjoyment because I felt like they were enjoying themselves. Did um, you feel a sense of enjoyment not vicariously? Yeah, I mean, I guess I also <laughs> felt a, a personal <laughs> sense of enjoyment, but I feel a strong identification when I go to see people performing music. I identify strongly with the performer. I think that's yeah. as hard yeah. as a musician. And as a non-musician, I can say that I felt just a sense of... You mean as a novelist? As in the, as the novel as yes, the, the novelist <laughs> George Eliot yes uh, uh. oh pre Victorian way pre Victorian uh. well you know we might take a little detour in a moment and listen to a song by Robert Rental which is not a pastoral romance if anything it's I think an intensely sort of urban and, and alienated romance yeah um, but like you might that. you might take some inspiration from this for your next oh, novel oh that feels like prescriptive but thank you well, I, I'll, I'll take it into consideration it's, I, I would describe it as suggestive as a woman <laughs> taking a man's pseudonym certainly don't need your recommendation well thank but. you for tuning in to me commanding um, commanding <laughs> women you're listening to uh, you must do what Stavro says BFF.FM <laughs> Thank you George Elliott uh, We'll be back for more chat right? later in the show
Je suis la fille en fleurs dans un monde en couleur, couleur
born with all desperate illusions that your parents' generation delivered to you. Grown up in an everlasting struggle with life, of which you can't expect anything more but sweat and hate. To become a human being But you're super soon That you, isolated and alone Programirajme, 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 
Cate su fibrazie Col coraggio posaglia O se c'è ferita musica Ili samo grupu logiku Tvoje srce je ko digitron Tako svako na to hladno Daj pogranija i mene Sistem opišene Koju karticu da ubaci Na koliko ti radiš Kako ti je memorija Gdje se paniš od te gasi Programiraj mene, programiraj mene, Daj pogranjeraj mene, odkri sistem opišene Moje srce je kod ili doma, tako srcu na to hvala Daj pogranjeraj mene, odkri sistem opišene Programiraj me, programiraj mene ti Programiraj me, programiraj mene ti Pour les plats au curry, 
confiné presque à la folie. Dans les trames de la tenture, s'écoule une vie d'aventure. Et sur le masque d'ivoire, se lisait sa torture. de la fumerie, dans une pièce tendue de soirée, ils s'installèrent pour une séance de Jean Rami, où Mr. Biong misa sa vie.